take your Bible, please, and go to the book of Hebrews, chapter 6 of the book of Hebrews. Uh, puede tomar su lugar y esta noche vamos a ir al libro de Hebreos, el capítulo 6 de este libro. We're going to read uh, beginning at verse 1. Vamos a comenzar leyendo en el verso 6. Y damos gracias a Dios por esta oportunidad de estar en su casa. Ya sabemos que uh, Dios está haciendo cosas grandes y que Él quiere hacer mayores cosas en nosotros. Uh, bienvenidos todos los que están aquí esta noche. We welcome all of you tonight. If you're our guest, uh, we're glad you're here. Tonight I want to share with you one of the foundational doctrines of Christ. And we find here in uh, Hebrews chapter 6 what the apostle calls both elementary doctrines and foundational doctrines. And this is one that we see a lot in practice, but maybe we don't understand as fully as we could. And so we want to study that tonight. Beginning at verse 1, therefore leaving the elementary teaching about the Christ, let us press on to maturity. Not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God, of instruction about washings and laying on of hands and the resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment. And this we will do if God permits. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you tonight for your life-giving word. We thank you for the instruction of the scripture. We thank you that in our life you are bearing fruit through your word. I pray today that you would anoint my lips of clay to teach and preach the word of the living God. And I ask you to anoint this congregation as they hear the word tonight, that they might be encouraged by its truth and that they might be strengthened uh, in the things that are taught. We ask these things in Jesus' name. And everyone said amen. Amen. Tonight I want to talk to you about the laying on of hands. And at the end of the service, we'll have an opportunity uh, for prayer, if anyone desires that tonight. But we see here the apostle making reference to the elementary teachings about Christ. And then he calls them foundations. And there's six doctrines that the apostle mentions here. And he's really he's challenging the immaturity of his audience. He's telling them, I don't want you to be uh, immature and having to relearn all the time or to... Uh, try to lay a new foundation all the time about the things that we uh, understand and know about Christ. And so he mentions six doctrines, and a doctrine is a teaching. And in the Bible, we understand there are good doctrines and bad doctrines, uh, or sound doctrines and unsound doctrines. And so a doctrine is a teaching, and the good teachings are those that come from the Word and that are uh, inspired by the word, and then unsound teaching or unsound doctrine is that which doesn't come from the word, that which comes from man or man's opinion. Hoy hablamos uh, y vemos aquí en esta porción de la escritura que Pablo, Pablo hace referencia a las uh, doctrinas de la Biblia. Él menciona seis doctrinas elementales o uh, primarias, y estas las pone como fundamentos. Esa palabra doctrina se refiere a la enseñanza. Ah, y la enseñanza puede ser buena o puede ser mala. La mala enseñanza o la mala doctrina viene de afuera de la Biblia. 
viene de la opinión del hombre, uh, pero la buena doctrina viene de la palabra de Dios. You want to be sure that you are living your life built on sound doctrine. Cada uno debe asegurarse que está viviendo una vida basada en buena doctrina, sound teaching. The reason this is important is because the Apostle Paul said to Timothy that in the last days, people, men, I would not suffer sound doctrine. Pablo le dijo a Timoteo que en los últimos días los hombres no sufrirían la buena doctrina, queriendo mejor a que sus oídos fuesen uh, uh, entretenidos, wanting rather their ears to be tickled, or whether, rather to be entertained, wanting to hear uh, pleasant and th uh, uh, good things that satisfy the human understanding. Queriendo escuchar cosas que entretienen. And so we want to be cautious of that because if he said that uh, these things would happen in the last day, I don't think you are surprised tonight that we are living in the last days and that you and I are seeing a world full of all kinds of doctrines, all kinds of teachings. And it's not even biblical teachings that have to be our example. Uh, just think about the fact that If you look in one place, they'll tell you that uh, eating uh, or, or, or drinking a certain thing is good for you and it's good for your health. And you just wait a little while and there's another study that says if you eat that, you're going to die early, right? So the, the, the doctrines of the world are constantly changing. And this is just a sign of the fact, of, uh, of the sign of the age we live in. And then when you bring it to the truth of God's word and you understand that the truth of God's word is under attack. And there are all types of doctrines uh, that are brought into, uh, under the umbrella of Christianity that mention the name of Jesus, but which are not biblical doctrine. And then you start to realize that it's one thing if you, uh, if you start a new diet or if you uh, practice a certain physical regimen, but it's a whole other thing when, you're, when your spiritual doctrines are corrupted by the world because those are the ones that have eternal consequences and so when uh, the writer of Hebrews writes to the Hebrews he's writing to them and he's saying you've got to be sure you don't allow these things to be corrupted that you don't lose touch with the essentials the elementary things entonces uh, hay una corrupción que entra a veces a la doctrina y queremos ser uh, un pueblo basado en sana doctrina y aquí el escritor de Hebreos avisa diciendo, ten cuidado de no perder tu conexión con estas doctrinas fundamentales. Now he mentions these six, let's look at them, vamos a ver estas seis doctrinas que él menciona y esta noche nos vamos a enfocar en la imposición de manos. Now tonight we're going to focus on the laying on of hands, but just so you understand what the six are. He talks about the... Uh, The doctrine of repentance from dead works. Primero, él habla de la doctrina del arrepentimiento. How many of you understand that repentance is still required for Christian living? ¿Cuántos entienden que el arrepentimiento todavía se requiere para la vida cristiana? God still requires repentance in our, uh, in our life. Dios requiere arrepentimiento. And then we read about faith toward God. Luego hablamos de la fe... Hacia Dios. And how many of you understand that faith is still what pleases God? Entendemos que la fe todavía agrada a Dios y sin fe 
Es imposible agradar a Dios. Without it, it is impossible to please God. If you're saved by faith, you are baptized in the Holy Spirit by faith, you're healed by faith, you receive and walk in the ministry and calling of God by faith. And then we read of the instruction about washings. Luego está la instrucción de lavamiento. Here he's making a reference to uh, water baptism. Aquí él hace referencia al bautismo en agua, a foundational doctrine of the church, which Jesus taught us to believe and be baptized. Jesús nos enseñó a, ser baut a, a creer y ser bautizados. And so if you are a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ tonight, but you haven't been baptized in water, then that's the next step for you uh, to uh, take that step of obedience in obedience to Christ and be baptized in water. It's a symbol of the washing away of the old life and the, and the cleansing of sin and the coming into the newness of life. If you haven't been baptized and you would like to be baptized in water, that is, I speak to our associate pastor, uh, Brother George, and we will arrange that as soon as possible. Now, this is an important uh, thing. Now, baptism doesn't save you. Uh, that's done by grace through faith. Say amen, somebody. If that were, if that, if baptism could save you, I would dunk everybody in Beeville, and then we would just be done with it. But the fact is, you have to believe. It's the believing that brings about salvation, and the washing is the external symbol, the outward sign, and the, uh, or I should say, the outward witness that you have come into faith in Christ. Then he mentions the laying on of hands, where we'll focus tonight. And the resurrection of the dead. How many of you still believe that there is a resurrection day coming? Luego habla de la imposición de manos que vamos a hablar hoy. Luego también de la resurrección de entre los muertos. Y todavía creemos en la resurrección de los muertos. Here he's talking about the resurrection of the dead. He's talking about the resurrection of Christ from the dead. He's talking about our resurrection. And ultimately he's talking about the summation of all things in the return of Christ to the earth. Él está hablando aquí de la resurrección de Jesucristo de entre los muertos y de la resurrección física del creyente y uh, del de, de, cumplimiento de todas las cosas en Cristo en la venida, la segunda venida de nuestro Señor. So we are still waiting for Jesus to come back. Todavía esperamos que Cristo vuelva. Alguien diga amén. We are expecting the resurrection of the dead. Estamos esperando la resurrección de entre los muertos. And then he says eternal judgment. Luego también hace referencia número 6 al juicio eterno. The sixth doctrine here is eternal judgment. You know, every sinner in town would like to forget all about eternal judgment. And half the Christians too. But the fact is there's a judgment day coming. Todos los pecadores quisieran olvidar el juicio y mitad de los cristianos parece también quisieran mejor olvidar el juicio, pero hay un día de recompensa, hay un día de juicio. There's a judgment day coming for the saints when they'll receive the reward of the crown uh, which they have uh, will receive from the Lord. Viene un día de juicio para los creyentes cuando recibirán corona conforme sus hechos. How many of you are looking forward to that day? ¿Cuántos esperan ese día? But there's also a judgment day coming for the wicked. También viene un día de juicio para los impíos. 
Y esto para que ustedes entendamos, nadie lo puede evitar. No one can avoid this judgment. The Bible says that the small and the great, uh, the, uh, the, the, the ocean and the, and the earth, wherever there are dead, where there, where the, wherever there are bodies buried, they'll give up their dead and, and, and they will come to life and stand before God in judgment. My friend, if you don't know Christ tonight, then I would not leave this church until I had made Jesus the Lord of my life. Better bow to him tonight of your own free will and receive eternal life than bow to him then uh, by, uh, by force and lose your soul forever. And so there is a judgment day coming, a summation of all the things. The Bible is full of prophecy, and every last one of them will be fulfilled. You can count on it. Say amen, somebody. So tonight I want to deal with the laying on of hands. This has been on my heart, and so I want to share it with you tonight because this is one which as Pentecostals, as spirit-filled, full gospel believers, we believe in and we practice. But I want us to have a full biblical understanding of what the laying on of hands is all about. And why does he mention it? In the middle of all of these other doctrines, he mentions this doctrine of the laying on of hands. En medio de todas estas doctrinas tan grandes, tan profundas, está la mención de la imposición de manos. Y esa es una de las doctrinas que practicamos como creyentes en la iglesia pentecostés o de evangelio pleno. La iglesia cree y practica la imposición de manos. Y debemos entender lo que es esta doctrina. Y por qué es que Dios la pone... Aquí en medio de todas estas cosas. Why does he put this doctrine right here among these other doctrines? The reality is that this, this doctrine primarily of the six is the one that refers to the ministry of the body of Christ. Now, in the other doctrines, we see either us doing something uh, and coming into faith, coming into the practice of the Christian faith, for our own, our own experience, for our own righteousness, or for our own standing. And then we see things that are going to happen to us and that are going to be done by God. But right here in this doctrine of the laying on of hands, we see the ministry of the body of Christ. We see the church operating and functioning in its God-given role and potential and impacting its world for the glory of God. And this, of all things, uh, we need to see uh, revitalized and renewed in every generation of Christian history. That the church never lose its connection to the fact that it is the hands and feet of Christ in our world. Esto no se debe olvidar y en cada generación se tiene que reactivar. Se tiene que entender de nuevo que la iglesia es el cuerpo del, del Señor Jesucristo. Y que somos las manos y pies de Él para avanzar su reino y para dar, traerle gloria a Él. You are a member of a body. Usted es miembro de un cuerpo. And as I have taught you before, every part of the body adds to another. And we make up the body of Christ. But through us, God is fulfilling His divine agenda for this generation. A través de nosotros, del cuerpo de Jesucristo, Dios está cumpliendo su agenda. Think about that. You weren't born in the wrong 
generation. Usted no nació en la generación equivocada. It's not by accident that you were brought into the kingdom of God and saved and baptized and full of the Holy Spirit when you were. God has something for you to do now. And it's no mistake that you survived uh, life-threatening things in the past, things that could have taken you out, and we could have, uh, uh, we could have already uh, forgotten about the things that you had done, but instead here we are, alive and kicking Why? Because there's an agenda that God wants accomplished and you are part of it. Somebody ought to say amen to that tonight. God's not done with you. God has work for you to do. Dios tiene trabajo que usted para que usted haga. Now, one of the problems in the church today is that the, 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 the majority of church people or church members or church attenders come to watch a minister, minister. Uh, la realidad es que en nuestros tiempos la mayoría de la gente en las iglesias viene a ver al ministro ministrar. Or we go to a, a conference to watch a minister, minister. Vamos a una conferencia para ver al ministro ministrar. Y uh, esto no es el propósito de Dios. This is not God's intention to just entertain the saints until Jesus comes back. The purpose of the, of the minister or, or the pastor, the evangelist, the teacher, the um, apostle and the prophet, the, the purpose of those gifts in the body of Christ is to equip you, the body, to go and do the work of the ministry. El propósito del pastor o evangelista o el, el maestro o el apóstol o la, el profeta es edificar el, el cuerpo para que el cuerpo haga lo que es el trabajo del Señor, a lo que es el ministerio. So that when someone says to you, how do, you, how do I get saved? You don't say, wait, let me call my pastor and he can tell you. You, you tell them how, how God brings salvation into their life. And when someone tells you, I've been feeling sick, you don't say, well, you know, I'll put you on the prayer list at church or I'll, uh, I'll bring up your name next time at Bible study. No, you... You say, you know what, let me pray for you right now. Because you have a ministry. Say amen, somebody. You have spiritual gifts that operate through your life for the glory of God. And if you come to church, it's so that those gifts can be stirred up and you can be equipped and empowered to go out and do the work of the ministry. Is there still a church here tonight? Now, I know it'd be much more comfortable to just watch somebody do the ministry for the rest of your life. But, but then you won't have fulfilled your assignment on the earth. God has given you an assignment. He's given you a responsibility. And that assignment won't get done without you. But God's not going to force you to do it. He requires us to take initiative and to take action and to operate in those gifts and in those things which he has called us to do. And so this doctrine of the laying on of hands is the one of the six that relates specifically to the, the body of Christ functioning in its role as, uh, as the, uh, the body of Christ on the earth. Listen, God is not going to do anything on the earth outside of the church. His, his mission is going to be accomplished through the church. He didn't call City Hall to do that. 
He didn't call the universities to do that. He didn't call the government to do that. He called the church to do that. Jesus said, I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Listen, you're so powerful as a church that hell can't stop you. La iglesia es tan poderosa que el infierno no la puede parar. El diablo no la puede parar. The devil can't stop the church. And so, uh, if, he, uh, if he can't stop the church, then what he can do will be distract the church. And uh, this is a kind of a Spanish reference, but our bishop in Chile, he used to say, he used to quote the Bible verse, La mies es mucha, los obreros flojos. Which loosely translated means the harvest is plentiful and the laborers are lazy. So if the enemy can't stop the church, then he can distract the church or he can slow the church down. But when the church realizes that it is the empowered instrument of God on the earth, and it rises up to take its place. That's why we've been emphasizing praying the scripture. Because when the church prays, history changes. When the church uh, acts upon what God has said, history changes. And so let's explore this doctrine tonight of the laying on of hands. Now, the laying on of hands actually begins in the Old Testament. La imposición de manos comienza en el Antiguo Testamento... I go back to the book of Genesis, Genesis 48. Vemos una, una referencia. You will see in Genesis 48, verse 14 through 19, one reference. There are many, but this is the beginning of the laying on of hands. This is el, el inicio. Uh, esta, esta práctica comenzó en el, en el Antiguo Testamento. So this practice began in the Old Testament. Now I've taught you before that. The only thing God touched in the creation was man. Lo único que Dios tocó en la creación es el hombre. That's why the laying on of hands has its uh, it, it, it connection right back to God. But the, the primary function of the laying on of hands in the book of Genesis was for the uh, impartation of the blessing. La, la primer uh, función de la imposición de manos en el libro de Génesis la vemos para impartir la bendición. Now, I've taught you what the blessing is. The blessing is a is a favorable declaration of God's disposition toward man. La bendición es una declaración favorecida de lo que Dios desea hacer en la vida del hombre. And so when we say you are blessed, we're saying there is a favorable decree over your life spoken by God for good things to happen in your life and for your life to be good and to be a blessing. Say amen, somebody. Tell your neighbor, I'm blessed. Tell the devil, I'm blessed whether you like it or not. And you know what God said? You can't curse what I have blessed. Say amen, somebody. So in Genesis 48, Joseph brings his two sons to Jacob to be uh, blessed by their grandfather. 
uh, José en Génesis 48 trae a sus hijos para que a uh, Jehová o para que Jacob los bendiga. Jacob ya está viejo, está para morir. Jacob is about to die. And the Bible says his name was uh, changed to Israel. So that's who we're talking about here. Verse 48. But Israel stretched out his right hand and laid it on the head of Ephraim, who was the younger, and his left hand on Manasseh's head, crossing his hands, although Manasseh was the firstborn. But Joseph, uh, he blessed Joseph and said, The God before whom my fathers Abraham and Isaac walked, the God who has been my shepherd all my life to this day, the angel who has redeemed me from all evil, bless the lads, and may my name live on in them, and the names of my fathers Abraham and Isaac, and may they grow into a multitude in the midst of the earth. What a blessing. Now, the, the decree is a, uh, a prophetic statement of God's goodwill and disposition over these lives. I want you to notice what Jacob does. In the Old Testament, uh, the, the blessing, prime, the, the firstborn blessing, went to the firstborn. And so Joseph brings his two sons, one's older than the other, so he brings the older son and puts him in front of Jacob's right hand. And he brings the younger son and puts him in front of Jacob's left hand, he's assuming that Jacob's going to do this. But Jacob sees prophetically what God intends to do, and he intends to raise up the younger son and make him greater than the, uh, the uh, older son. And this is a pattern we see uh, in the Bible. Remember that God didn't bless Esau, he blessed Jacob, and he I didn't bless Ishmael, he blessed Isaac. It's a reference to the fact that ultimately God was going to lay his hand upon a new people called the church. And so uh, Jacob prophetically crosses his hands in order to bless these boys. And because, listen, the blessing knows what to do. You might say, well, you know, here I am, I'm standing in line, there's a lot of people in front of me, and I'm going to miss my minute, I'm going to miss my moment, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to miss my ticket. Don't worry about it, the blessing knows how to find you. The blessing knows what to do. And so he just crossed his hands, and he placed his hands upon the boys, and he speaks these words over them. Now part of this is a testimony and he says, he's calling upon God. But who's he calling upon? He's calling upon the God of my fathers, Abraham and Isaac, and the angel who has led me through this journey of my life, uh, who has been the shepherd all of my days. Bless these lads. It's a powerful transfer that occurs when spiritual uh, leaders lay hands upon uh, those under their care to bless them. And that's why on Sundays or even on Wednesday nights, we uh, invoke the blessing over you. And I tell you, raise your hands for the blessing. Uh, that is because I can't physically lay hands on everybody. At least that would take a long time. We did that at every service. We kind of agree with that, right? 
Y'all want to hurry up and get to the diner? Or what, that closed, didn't it? You want to get up, hurry up and go somewhere. So uh, we say, raise your hands and receive the blessing. But why is that so powerful? Why is it so important? Because when a person in spiritual authority invokes the blessing of God, they are releasing prophetically those things into your life. And that person in spiritual authority can be a parent, uh, blessing their children. Uh, in this case, Jacob is blessing uh, his uh, grandchildren, Ephraim and Manasseh, in place of Joseph, who they are go who is going to, uh, who they're going to take his place among the tribes. And uh, th then we see that prophetic blessing passing from a father to a son. Or it can also be uh, a priest blessing the people as we see in the book of Numbers chapter 6, or a pastor blessing the congregation. And the, the beauty of that and the blessing of that is so great that you, you should desire it. You should long to receive the blessing because it's not just words. It is prophetic power that's released into your life. And the problem is many times we believe more uh, in the power of curses than we do in the power of the blessing. We believe more in the, in the oh, well, if, if some witch put a hex on me. No, the, the blessing of the Lord destroys every hex, every curse. There's more power in the blessing than in the curse. Amen, somebody. Usted y yo debemos desear la bendición. Sea la, la bendición de un líder espiritual puede ser el padre sobre sus hijos o el, uh, el sacerdote sobre la congregación de Israel o en el caso de una congregación el pastor. Pero esa voz es una voz profética anunciando el decreto divino de Dios sobre esa vida. Y usted lo debe anhelar, anhelar y entender que la bendición es más poderosa que la maldición. Y esa, esa palabra se cumple en la vida del creyente. We receive that blessing and we believe, uh, we, we see it actually fulfilled in the life of this church. I have invoked the blessing over this congregation every service since I became the pastor of this congregation. Yo he invocado la bendición del Señor sobre esta congregación en cada culto. Y yo he visto la bendición de Dios en esta congregación. I've seen the blessing of God on this congregation. Say amen, somebody. The, the word of God makes a difference. La palabra de Dios hace una diferencia. And so that blessing is, in this, uh, in this context, is imparted through the laying on of hands. Esto es impartido a través de la imposición de manos. Because the hand is the place uh, where possession is held. Es ahí en la mano donde se contiene la posesión. We possess things with our hands. Tenemos o poseemos cosas con nuestras manos. We don't possess things with our feet or our elbows. We possess them with our hands. And the, uh, the blessing, when it comes to the laying on of hands, is an exchange of what's possessed. I have the blessing of God. I have this, uh, um, th th this testimony of God's faithfulness to my father Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Now I'm giving it to Ephraim and Manasseh, and they will rise up, and their children will walk in the same blessing 
in the same testimony, same handsome body. Uh, that's why Peter said, silver and gold have I none, but such as I have, I give to you. And that impartation is so powerful and life-changing. Now go to Leviticus chapter 1, verse 3 through 4. We see the laying on of hands here as well. This one was a little different. Leviticus capítulo 1, verso 3 al 4. Vemos la imposición de manos aquí, un poco diferente. Pero aquí vemos a la conexión con la ofrenda. Here we see the laying on of hands in connection with the offering. In Leviticus 1, 3, the scripture says, If his offering is a burnt offering from the herd, he shall offer it a male without defect. And he shall offer it at the doorway of the tent of meeting, that he may be accepted before the Lord. And he shall lay his hand on the head of the burnt offering, that it may be accepted for him to make an atonement on his behalf. Now there are uh, several portions of Leviticus that detail this. But when you brought an offering in the old covenant, you didn't bring it in an envelope. Uh, you brought an animal, a blood sacrifice. Si usted traía una ofrenda en el Antiguo Testamento, no lo traía en sobre. Traía uh, su ofrenda en, en una bestia, o uh, dependiendo de la ofrenda, pero en este caso una bestia. And here are the things that you would have had to do. It's, the men were the ones who brought the offering. They would come to the doorway of the tent of meeting. Venían a la puerta del tabernáculo o del templo. ¿Y qué pasaba? Ellos tenían que degollar el sacrificio. They had to, they had to cut the throat of the sacrifice themselves. They didn't just drop it off at the, uh, with the priest and go home. They had to actually do the deed. And the priest would, would have a basin and collect the blood. This was, a, this was a bloody business. Esto era algo sangroso. Ellos tenían que con su propia mano degollar al sacrificio y el sacerdote colectaba la sangre. This was no easier for the, for the offerer as it was for the priest. They're, both of them were equally involved. But prior to doing that, they would lay their hands on the head of the sheep or the goat or the ox and they would confess their sins over it. Ellos ponían sus manos sobre la bestia y confesaban sus pecados. Y eso implicaba que esa bestia se hacía el pecado. That, that beast, that animal became their sin. It became them, their representative. Se hacía su representante. Para poder morir en el lugar de aquella persona. To die in the place of that person. Now, I'm glad we don't do this anymore. Que bueno que ya no hacemos esto. But in a certain sense, we're missing the profound uh, significance of what salvation means. Because... Uh, by not having at least seen it once in our life, we kind of get a different picture of what uh, salvation is. But to be saved, you literally have to come and put your hands on Christ and say, He is my sin bearer. And when you confess your sins to God, you're literally laying those sins upon Christ. 
That's why he died on the cross. And that's why he bore the wrath of God. God poured out his judgment for sin on Jesus because he became sin for us. And so this picture of the laying on of hands was one of the transference of guilt onto the beast. Aquí vemos la transferencia de la culpabilidad a la bestia. Y esto se pierde a veces uh, porque no lo practicamos, gracias a Dios, y no lo vemos, pero si usted lo entiende, entiende que Cristo es esa bestia de sacrificio sobre el cual hemos confesado nuestros pecados y Él se hizo pecado por nosotros. Y Él llevó nuestras rebeliones. He himself bore our, our iniquity, our transgression, our rebellion. And the Bible said that he who knew no sin became sin on our behalf that we might become the righteousness of God in him. El que no conocía el pecado se hizo pecado para que pudiéramos ser la justicia de Dios en Cristo. Have you laid hold of Christ? ¿Cuántos han puesto manos sobre Cristo? Han confesado su pecado a él. You've declared your sin uh, to him. You've confessed your sin to him. And through that we have received the righteousness of God in Christ. A través de esto hemos recibido la justicia de Dios en Cristo. Now just think about this. This, this was done here by the offer. And a few chapters later we see the priest doing it. Declaring the, the, the sins of the nation uh, upon that uh, the scapegoat who would become uh, ultimately the sacrifice. And in that context, he would take two goats and, and one of them would, would be allowed to escape and the other one would be sacrificed. And they would cast lots. And whichever one the lot fell on, they would sacrifice the one and, sac and release the other. It's a picture of our salvation. We were right there next to Christ. And we deserve judgment and death. He did not. But he allowed the lot to fall on him. He said, I'll become their sacrifice. I'll become their, the, uh, I'll take their place. And we have escaped uh, from death and from judgment. We've escaped from the fire of judgment because of the sacrifice. Somebody ought to give God praise for his son Jesus tonight. Come on, give the Lord a hand of praise for the sacrifice of Christ. Say with me, Christ is enough. You have to transfer your guilt to him. And, and that's what confession is about. Literally laying hold of that, uh, that idea, that, con that concept helps us understand the laying on of hands. It has that same connection, that same understanding, there is a powerful transference that occurs uh, through the laying on of hands. In Exodus chapter 29 and verse 20, we see the anointing of the priests of Israel. In Exodus 29, 20, vemos la unción de los sacerdotes. When a, when a, uh, when a priest was sacrificed, they laid hands on him specifically anointing him with oil, and this uh, anointing was with blood and oil. 
So it was the anointing oil and the blood of the sacrifice. And we see there in Exodus 29, 20, what does it say? You shall slaughter the ram and shall take the blood and put it on the lobe of Aaron's right ear and the son's right ear and on the thumb of his great hand of, of his right hand and on the big toe of their right feet. You probably didn't know big toe was in the Bible, did you? And sprinkle the rest of the blood around on the altar. So this was the laying on of hands for the anointing of the priest. They would take blood and oil. Now you think, uh, you know, water baptism or something like that is a big deal. You just think about being anointed by blood and oil. They would anoint three parts. They would anoint their right ear, their thumb, and their foot, their great toe on their foot. What did that mean? Now they were going to hear the voice of God. And they were going to think with the mind of God. Their, their days of secular living were over. They were dedicated to the Lord's work. No priest was in, uh, received any inheritance of land. They didn't have anything to work or to do except the priesthood. And that was going to be, they were going to hear and think the voice of God. Their hands were anointed so that they would do the work of God. They were going to be about God's business, about God's work. And then their feet were anointed so they would walk in the paths of holiness, in the ways of God. Se ungía el oído para que ahora escuchara la voz de Dios. Y las manos para que ahora hicieran la obra de Dios y sus pies para que ahora caminaran en los caminos de Dios. How many of you have received the threefold anointing of the priest? ¿Cuántos han recibido en la unción del sacerdote? Do you have the mind of Christ tonight? ¿Cuántos tienen la mente de Cristo? Come on. Do you have the mind of Christ? You remember how you used to think? How you used to make decisions, but now you have the mind of Christ. Antes pensaba diferente, actuaba diferente, pero ahora tiene la mente de Cristo. And you, you do the works of God. Ahora haces los trabajos de Dios. And how many of you are walking in the ways of God? Well, I know you are tonight because you came to church. You didn't used to go to church. But now you're walking in a new, a newness of life. Say amen, somebody. So the Old Testament, the Old Covenant has many references to this doctrine of the laying on of hands. And we see just how full it is of meaning and of significance. Now let's go over into the New Testament. Mark chapter 16, verse 18. <coughs> Ahora el Nuevo Testamento, Marcos 16, 18. This is now Jesus speaking. <coughs> Ahora vemos a Jesús hablando y él nos dice algo muy uh, bien conocido. He says, you will pick up serpents and if you drink deadly poison, it will not hurt you. And they will lay hands on the sick and they will recover. 
Dice ahora, pondrán manos sobre los enfermos y sanarán. Now what's Jesus doing here? Jesus, this is the end of the Gospel of Mark. If you look at Mark, you read the Gospel of Mark, all the Gospels have the same trait, but particularly in this context. Jesus laid hands on the sick, and they were healed. In fact, there were three groups of people that you could not touch. If you touched them, you became unclean. You could not touch lepers. Jesus touched lepers and healed them. And instead of becoming unclean, they became clean. Say amen, somebody. You could not touch anyone that had an issue of blood. Jesus uh, was touched by a woman who had an issue of blood. She didn't be, uh, she didn't become, uh, he didn't become unclean. She became clean. Say amen, somebody. You could not touch the dead or you'd become clean. But Jesus laid his hands on the dead and they raised to life. And now he says, now you, because you believe in me, you will lay hands on the sick and they will recover. Now there's no magic. There's no formula. There's no, there's no button to push. Because it's not your hand. It's a point of contact. And it's obedience to the voice of Christ. You will lay hands on the sick and they will recover. And in my own experience, there have been times when I have laid hands on the sick. And at least on a couple of occasions, the person I was praying for said, Whoa, your hand's on fire. As far as I was concerned, my hand felt normal. But Jesus said, you will lay hands on the sick and they will recover. Other times, I, and generally, uh, when I, and I don't lay hands on people very much, but um, as you've observed in my time here, but when I, uh, I do, I'll sense a, a particular sensation on my right hand and I'll know that I have to pray for somebody or lay hands on somebody. But there have been many times where I had no one say, whoa, and I had no sensation, and there was still an impartation of divine healing. Because it's not about what you feel, what you see. It's not about tingling. It's not about getting in a mode. It's about obeying the voice of Christ. You will lay hands on the sick, and they will recover. Now you get right into the book of Acts, and the Bible says that Peter and John were on the way to the prayer meeting at the temple. Uh, and when they saw the lame man asking for alms, Peter said, silver and gold have I none, but such as I have I give to you in the name of Jesus, rise and walk. And he reached out and took his hand, and he lifted him up, and the man who was lame began to walk and leap for joy. Come on, somebody. Jesus said, you will lay hands on the sick, and they shall recover. Now, what did he say before that? These signs will follow those who believe. Do you believe? So say that with me tonight. I will lay hands on the sick, and they will recover. Go to James chapter 5, verse 14. Santiago 5, 14.
this one you know well because I've quoted it to you many times. Has anyone among you been sick? Is anyone among you sick? Then he must call for the elders of the church, and they are to pray over him, anointing him with oil. There's the laying on of hands in the name of the Lord. Verse 15. And the prayer offered in faith will restore the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up, and if he has committed sins, they will be forgiven him. Think about that. Uh, look at all the elements there. He says, if you're sick, call for the elders of the church. Why the elders of the church? Because there's a prophetic power that follows spiritual authority. Just like the blessing you receive from your father is more meaningful than the blessing you receive from a stranger on the street. And the elders of the church have spiritual authority in that congregation. So he says, call them. And they're going to pray over you, and they're going, to, uh, they're going to anoint you with oil in the name of the Lord, and they're going to make the prayer of faith. Look at all those elements. Listen, what does the healing, what brings the restoration? It's not the elder. It's not the oil. It's the obedience to the voice of Christ both on the part of the believer in need of health and on the part of the elder. Stretch forth their hands and lay hands on the sick, expecting them to recover. And again, without question, he says, and they will recover. The prayer of faith will raise him up. Do you believe that tonight? All right, we're going to deal with two more I'll just mention. Acts 13, 11 is the laying on of hands for commissioning. Hechos 13, 11, la imposición de manos para comisionar. The Bible says that the church was in prayer. They were having a prayer meeting, and the Holy Spirit spoke to the elders and said for them to separate Barnabas and Saul for the work of the ministry. And they laid hands on them and sent them out into the ministry. And that began Paul's first missionary journey. This is the uh, laying on of hands for commissioning. First uh, Timothy chapter 4 and verse 14. We read it again there. Paul says to Timothy that he had, uh, his, uh, he had gifts imparted to him through the laying on of hands. He said, do not neglect the spiritual gift within you which was bestowed on you through the prophetic utterance of, and uh, with the laying on of hands by the presbytery. So here we have again that when a person is called to the ministry, when there is a, a call of God on your life, one of the points of recognition is for, a, uh, for the, the eldership of the body of Christ to lay hands on you, commissioning you to that work. And what a powerful uh, thing it is to know that we're not lone rangers. No one calls himself. No one anoints himself. He's called of God and God spoke to the elders and said, send Paul. Paul had already seen a vision of Jesus. He had more revelation than the elders who were praying for him and that didn't mean he could go out on his own. He still needed the voice of authority in his life. 
Is there a church here tonight? They laid hands on him. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 6. Timothy had hands laid on him a lot. And here in uh, 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 6, we read about the fact that uh, Timothy had hands laid upon him. He says, for this reason I remind you to kindle afresh the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of hands. So not only is the calling confirmed and verified through the laying on of hands, but gifts are imparted through the laying on of hands. And one more, 1 Timothy 5.22, one more under commissioning. When you hear me say one more, it has no reference to I'm wrapping up. It's just one more within the thing I'm working on right now. All right. 1 Timothy 5.22. Do not lay hands on anyone too hastily. Now, when I was growing up, I thought this meant, you know, because preachers would come over to you and say, ha! You know, and I thought, that's not in the Bible. It says don't lay hands on people too hastily. But it didn't mean that. It meant that don't, don't commission somebody unless they're proven. Don't commission somebody and say, I anoint you for the pastorate or I anoint you for eldership unless they have proven themselves to be mature in the things of God. And so sometimes this passage is misunderstood, but I wanted you to get it in there tonight that there is a process of proving, of observation. And then there comes the laying on of hands. And finally, Acts 8, 17, that we lay on, we, we receive the, the Holy Spirit through the laying on of hands. And this you read all throughout the book of Acts, but here we have it in Acts 19, verse 5 uh, and 6. And here the scripture says that they anoint, that they laid hands upon the believers and they spoke with other tongues. That's Acts 19, verse 5 through 6. And the uh, impartation of the, of the gift of the Holy Spirit. It says when they, uh, when Paul had, uh, let's hold on now. Pick one, please. When they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And when Paul had laid his hands upon them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they began speaking with tongues and prophesying. Now, when they, when they were in the upper room, no one laid hands on them. The Holy Spirit came upon the early church. But now they had possession of something. Now they had something in them. And then when they laid hands on the believers, the believers began to experience the same thing they experienced by uh, receiving the baptism in the Holy Spirit with the evidence of speaking in other tongues. And tonight, I want to ask the elders to come forward, please. And we're going to take the last few minutes in this Bible study to practice what I've been teaching tonight. So if you would, just stand with me, please. Maybe you need the blessing. That kind of blessing which the Bible says makes rich and adds no sorrow. You know that the blessing can open doors, can create opportunities, 
It can remove obstacles. Tonight, if you come in need of the blessing, we're going to lay hands on you. And you receive the blessing of the Lord. Maybe you are in need of forgiveness or deliverance. And tonight, as you come, we're going to lay hands on you and believe that the finished work of Christ is taking place in your life. And that the delivering power of Christ is operating in your life. Maybe this tonight you need healing. We're going to lay hands on you believing in the divine healer to manifest his power in your life. And maybe you need the Holy Ghost. The Holy Spirit actively working in your life. And tonight we're going to agree with you that that gift of power is yours. Now I'm going to give you the blessing tonight. And after you've come, if you need to go, you may go. If you want to stay in this altar, you may stay and continue in worship. I believe the Lord wants to pour something new in your life. So don't be too quick in leaving. But if you would, just raise your hands for the blessing. And now may the Lord bless you and keep you. And may the Lord cause his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you his peace. Father, I pray your blessing upon your people. I declare that they are the head and not the tail. That they will go above and not beneath. They will be the lender and not the borrower. Because they are your people. They are the body of Christ. Uniquely suited for this generation and for this work. I pray your blessing upon them. I release that anointing to function in their office, in their calling, in their giftings as never before. And we receive that in Jesus' name and for the glory of God. Amen. Would you come?